Hello, you are listening to Freedom in Christianity, a blog and podcast by Father Anthony Paul. Freedom in Christianity is focused on exploring the faith as seen through the love of God, which comes only by freedom. Father Anthony Paul is a priest of the Coptic Orthodox Diocese of Los Angeles and a member of the St. Paul Brotherhood. This podcast is brought to you by Anaphora Radio. And now, Father Anthony Paul. I was born this way, so how can you blame me? So many of us ask this question, either about ourselves or about others. Lady Gaga has also most graciously written a song about it. With the progress we've made in the Human Genome Project and our understanding of genetics in general, we're finding more and more things that wire a person to behave in a certain way. So we find ourselves asking the questions, if I was born this way, why am I being blamed? That's not fair. Let's discuss the extremes we have when discussing genetic issues, celebrating a disease and victimizing the victim. Those are the two extremes. First, let's discuss what a disease is. I promise it's relevant. For simplicity, let's just use the definition from your local Apple Dictionary. Disease, a disorder of structure or function in a human, animal, or plant, especially one that produces specific signs or symptoms or that affects a specific location and is not simply a direct result of physical injury. Bacterial meningitis is a rare disease, a possible cause of heart disease. Or disease is a particular quality, habit, or disposition regarded as adversely affecting a person or group of people. Departmental administration has often led to the dread disease of departmentalitis. A lot of us talk about disease in a negative sense. That's why we have expressions like, they're treating me like I have some kind of disease. When in reality, a disease is just something that strays from the proper functioning or intent of the creature or object or thing. It's a condition or state. We'll leave the discussion of blame for later. For all intents and purposes, a disease is simply some kind of aberration from the original intent of that thing. That can have positive effects, and it can have negative ones. But where does disease come from? In a worldly sense, disease comes from a multitude of things. Often it's because of some kind of radiation or some kind of exposure that affects a gene's integrity. If the gene is morphed or modified in some way, this leads to a different kind of expression of that gene. These exposures can come from so many sources. Some of them are voluntary and some are involuntary. If we pollute the world, for example, there are consequences on our genetics, and that can cause increased diseases, like cancer, for example. So why is there disease in the world? Unfortunately, as usual, it comes back to that garden. God created the world in a perfect balance, and he gave us the freedom to choose what to do with it. When we chose to sin, we introduced spiritual disease in ourselves. We put something totally foreign into ourselves, and the whole world fell. We took knowledge that we didn't know how to deal with yet. The more we interacted with the world, the shorter our lifespans became, with the exception of a slight increase in the last century because of technology and science. Don't get me wrong, this does not mean that all damage done to the world is willful and intentional. Some of it was negligence and some of it was ignorance. We still are trying to understand this world. The Lord entrusted the earth to us and commanded us to subdue it. We've done our best with that sometimes, other times we haven't cared enough. For the purpose of understanding this better, let's discuss the various diseases and how we get them so we can understand this whole blame thing. So, causality versus predisposition. Not all genetic malfunctions cause a disease per se. 
but some genetic factors predispose people to different things. For example, there are people who are genetically predisposed to addictions. We say that they have addictive personalities sometimes. They seem to have a genetic makeup that makes them more likely to become dependent on various substances. I remember being taught in intro psych class years ago that there are males who are born with a higher propensity toward physical aggression and violence because of factors during pregnancy and or other genetic factors. Both of these were out of his control, but the effects are possible. In this kind of genetic aberration, a person had no say in how he or she was born, but can end up with problems that he or she finds very difficult and are different from the majority of society. Causal factors. There are some genetic aberrations, however, that do cause things to happen. These factors are more easily studied. For example, cystic fibrosis, G6DP, G6PD deficiency, autoimmune diseases, Alzheimer's, MS, diabetes, and other diseases well known of late are strongly or entirely associated with genetics. There are some conditions in which certain controls can help prevent the disease from developing because there are environmental factors that affect its expression, but there are others where the disease will inevitably rear its angry head and the person is forced to battle with it. This leads us to nature versus nurture. So, Genetics play a role in these diseases, sometimes 100% and sometimes less. This is the differentiation that is always discussed in classrooms, nature versus nurture. This refers to what kind of things are determined totally by genetics, nature, and what environmental factors might affect things, nurture. Take, for example, the person with a predisposition to addiction. This person will not know that he has this issue until he's tried the substance upon which he becomes dependent. If he is never exposed to the drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, he will not know that the genetics affect him. In a bigger sense, our interactions with society and the world around us strongly influence who we become and how we behave. Imagine a world where social drinking and recreational drugs did not exist. The person with that gene would never know he had a potential issue. Someone who grew up in an environment where all they did was ride horses and cut down trees might never become interested in flying planes or in engineering, even though he might have some kind of natural adeptness in mathematics or physics. These are personality examples, but there are also natural factors that can influence genetic diseases as well. Exposure, exposure to certain environmental factors might facilitate the expression of an, an aberrant gene. For example, some people might speculate that chemical toxins cause the Parkinson's gene to become active. To test if something is 100% genetically determined, we usually look for genetically identical twins to see if both twins express the exact same thing. If they did not, it means that nurture is involved to some extent in the abnormality. Celebrating disease. Today, there are certain things that we are saying are genetic, and we are told that we should encourage people to celebrate the deviance from the norm. I am not sure how sensical or rational this is. If something is a genetic aberration, what is there to celebrate about the aberration? The person did not do something astounding. He or she was allegedly simply born that way. If we, for the sake of argument, say that everything is a process of genetic evolution, if an aberration happened, then why is that saying that something was meant to be this way? Evolution admits that exposure and various factors affect the evolution of a thing, whether positive or negative. It was an aberration. Do we celebrate aberrations? Should we celebrate Parkinson's or G6PD deficiency? 
Should we have parties encouraging people to be excited about diabetes? It seems a little bizarre to most people, and yet we selectively do it with other deviances from other norms. If we want to encourage people in their battle with these things, that is noble. But our focus seems misdirected if we are spending our time celebrating the aberration itself. Whose fault is it? If we're going to do the blame game, a lot of this is a result of the collective free will of humanity. Again, it all goes back to that garden fiasco as discussed above and another post on this blog and podcast. But this fault thing is sort of redundant and, and unnecessary because we have no control in it today and nobody's punishing us. We simply have consequences from our choices. I hate this question, but I'll humor it for a moment. But read or listen to the end to see why this should not be our focus. Let's get biblical. We're all familiar with the story of the man born blind. The man's born, the dude has no eyes. And the disciples very presumptuous inquire, is this the parent's sin or the kid's sin that causes disease? It was an ignorant inquiry. They didn't just ask the question. They are ready to pounce with the blame game. The Lord replied that it had nothing to do with anyone's sin, that the Lord would be glorified in it. He didn't say that he made them. He didn't say he made this person blind so that he could be glorified. He simply said that he would be glorified in it. Now, what brought the glory about? It was the healing of the man born blind. It was not a celebration of blindness. The Lord did not say, blessed are you blind man. You ought to rejoice that you have blindness. He healed the man. He took his weakness and fixed it. Now, this sounds nice and simple, but did the Lord heal every living blind person? No, he didn't. Why did he choose to heal this man? I have no idea. I don't think anyone knows. We can meditate on different possibilities. We can appreciate that it happened because of the lessons we can draw from it. But we do not know why God's grace worked with this person in this particular way. Be careful not to assume that nobody else received a different grace. The point, however, is that he did it. He expressed that it had nothing to do with sin, and the solution was to heal it, not encourage someone to wallow in it. Let's look at modern society and point out the absurdity of celebration. Someone who has a genetic predisposition to addiction is not encouraged to celebrate addiction. Someone prone to violent behavior is not held unaccountable for violent behavior. Society works on finding ways to support these people, to encourage them, to shield them where possible, and to offer treatment where possible, even though some of these people find their greatest emotional happiness, not true joy, when fulfilling their natural dispositions. The thing is, though, their natural disposition is not actually natural. It was natural to them because they were born that way, but it was not the way that things were naturally designed. It was an accident of some kind somewhere along the line of our history. So let's not be misguided in our understanding. Let's come back to nurture. This is very important because we sometimes forget about our collective responsibility toward one another in society and that our decisions and what we normalize have long-term effects on ourselves and society at large. We are affecting very strongly both the nature and nurture aspects of living and sometimes get pulled into strong social movements that might actually be nonsensical at best or hazardous at worst. If we encourage the celebration of disease, then we can forget what the cause of that disease really was. We can encourage behaviors that are not necessarily healthy for society in whatever way, all in the guise of trying to show love and support. The love and support is not to praise a disease 
but to help a person. But if in our nurturing environment we start to vote diseases as celebratory, what are we really saying? What we need to nurture is wholeness in Christ and whatever that entails. We need to nurture what is right, not what is comfortable. Warfare. Let's get back to the spiritual dimension for a bit. We're Christians. We believe that there's a devil. If you don't believe in the devil's existence or his mission, then that's your choice, but you're not an Orthodox Christian if you do not. The devil has an influence on your body. In more than one story of our Lord's exorcisms, it would be written that the person was deaf or mute or both, but as soon as the Lord commanded out the demon, the person was whole again. The devil is able to affect your physical health. So sometimes the devil has a role in things. And if we celebrate his work or don't recognize something as a warfare, we normalize his work and actively encourage him to do work on us. Sometimes the devil's work is coupled with natural or genetic difficulties of other kinds, but his work is still also real. So spiritual warfare and spiritual life is as important as all other nurture and environmental factors that affect health. This is part of spiritual health, and whether you know it or not, your physical and spiritual health are intrinsically linked. There is no life to the body without a spirit, nor is there life to the spirit without the body. So again, whose fault is it? The question is actually irrelevant. It's a state of being, a condition. And there's no reason to discuss blame because nobody's being blamed. Our Lord never convicted people coming to him to be healed, even when the cause of the disease was because of their sin. He simply told them, go and sin no more when sin was involved. When did our Lord ever convict a sinner? When the Samaritan woman came to him, he praised her for her honesty and converted her heart. When the woman caught in adultery was brought to him, he first defended her, then reassured her that I don't condemn you either. There was never a message of blame. There was never a long discourse of, you know that this is totally your fault, right? You know that if you hadn't done this, that, and the other thing, you'd be fine right now, eh? None of that. So let's drop the blame game and let's not falsely celebrate. Rather, let's do what our Lord did. Transfigure. The proper thing to do is not to scare people or shame people in their condition, physical or spiritual, it's to love them unconditionally and to help them in whatever way that we are able. A person should not be afraid to say that they have a disease. They should believe that the church is a hospital open to all. Rather than yell at a patient for being a patient, no matter what had caused the illness, we should learn how to treat the patient, support the patient, and bring the patient closer to the true physician. If he wants to be healed, then let him receive treatment, even if it means lifelong treatment. We're all in treatment. If a person refuses treatment, respect his or her free will. If we spend our time blaming, however, tell me why the person would ever approach us. All of us have some kind of disease, physical or spiritual. When we have them, there's no point in saying, well, it's my wish, my right, my desire to have such and such. Unfortunately, what we've done to ourselves as a global community has made certain things impossible for some of us. A blind person can't demand the right to see no matter how much we can sympathize, sympathize with him. The blind person, however, may have to learn how to hear ridiculously well. He might develop his mind more, but he cannot waste his life wallowing in what ails him. Society can also become his eyes for him, while he becomes their ears. The solution, my friends, is to take our humanity, accept it, and then be transfigured. We need to do as the Lord did. He embraced our humanity in all of its weakness and frailty and then glorified it. He took our weaknesses and transfigured them. 
If we want to be transfigured, then we must take the way of the cross. The cross was shameful and disgusting, but the Lord took it, carried it, and transformed it. The weakness became glory, weakness became might, death became life. Be transfigured. We hope that you have enjoyed and been edified by today's episode. If you have any questions and wish to reach Father Anthony Paul, please send an email to ap at freedominchristianity.com. Thank you for listening to Anaphora Radio. 